Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Entertainment, Tales from the Pages, and it is our March show, and this show is filled to the brim with all kinds of wonderful stuff, and I am just so happy because I have so many guests, and I'm looking forward to speaking to all of them, and my first guest is on the line now. Hello, this is Arunima. Hi. Hello. Am I audible? Hi. Yes, you are very audible. Yes. Arunima is coming to us from India. What part of India? Uh, I'm in Punjab right now. Okay. So, um, yes, and also on the line we have our other guest. Hello? Hi. Hi. And this is Lee Payne. Lee, will you introduce yourself and then I'll have Arunima introduce herself and then we'll start our show. Yes, I'd be happy to introduce myself. Okay. I'd be happy to do that. Are you getting a, a feedback? Because I'm getting a little feedback. Don't worry about yes, it. Yes, I, I am too. So I wasn't sure when to time it, but I just Are you in. listening to the show on the computer too? Yes. No, don't do that. <laughs> turn it off. Just, just turn it off. That, that yeah. makes it easy. Okay, here we are. That's much better. Thank you. Sorry <laughs> to take up the time with that. I no, might have figured fine. it out. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. It's always a delight to speak with you, but particularly today, this is a a great occasion, and I thank you. Um, I'm shortly, I would say, uh, the immediate past president of the Greenwich branch of the National League of American Pen Women, and I'm one of seven members in the country who uh, are active in all, or have been accepted in all three branches in the arts, the music, and the letters. Today, oh, of course, great. would be a letters presentation. 
Um, I've been in nonprofit work for a good chunk of my life on the directorial and administrative levels, uh, which has been, I've had a very interesting, uh, certainly, time in that part of my life. And in retirement, I have become the author of a new book called Extraordinary Revelations to Ordinary People. Which Great. Features, so we're going to uh, list. We're going to talk more about Lee later. Okay. Thank you so much for that introduction. And now we have Arunima Sinha. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. So um, I am actually an educator. I've been doing that for around uh, like a decade now, and I've been a speaker at TEDx and um, newly turned author. I'm a poet, singer, like you know. I'm into art and spirituality a lot. Yeah. That's great. So we're going to talk with Arunima first. We decided, Lee said, she was going to give you the stage because you're new and we don't know anything about you. Okay. (laughs) We're just going to talk about your your life. So then I'm going to mute you. I don't really have to mute you, right, Lee? Do I have to mute no, you? I'm you just, think you might have background noises? I hope not. You're welcome to do it if you wish. Why, why don't you do it just to be safe? Okay. My dog is under my feet. Okay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to do that. So, Arunima. Yeah. Where were you born and where do you live now? Uh, so, I was born in a city called Patna, uh, and that's in the state called Bihar. And uh, most of my studies happened in Delhi, which is, you know, quite close to Punjab as well. And only last year I shifted here, you know, owing to my job. Yeah. So you're living now in Delhi? Uh, No, I was living in Delhi. Now I'm living in Punjab. Ah, I lived in Delhi for a month. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it was wonderful. Yeah. We'll talk about it later, not now, because we have so much to get through. So <laughs> besides yeah. writing, um, you told us a little bit about your occupation. Can you tell us more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, you know, I did my master's in English, and I was all set to become a professor, you know, in Delhi University. Uh, however, education took a lot of my interest. So I did my bachelor's in education and um, instead of pursuing my, you know, master's in education, I stepped into school education. I thought that I'd do that for, you know, only a few years, <laughs> but uh-huh. I think I really loved teaching students so much, like the school children, you know, they're so innocent. And um, I got an understanding of like, I've also taught in the university for two years, but I realized that there's a lot more to do that we can do with, you know, we can bring about a change when you are teaching at the school level. So I really loved, you know, doing that. And um, while teaching them, I also myself became a poet and a writer. So, you know, the journey has been like very interesting. I really love being a teacher. Like that's the best part of my life, being a teacher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know I was a teacher for 20 years, but... um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, actually only... 12 of them mm. as a full-time teacher, and then the rest was substitute. But um, okay. I did love teaching. I didn't love the administration, and I didn't love a lot of the parts of teaching. But I yeah, I love understand. The, yeah. 
I loved working with children. That was the best. So do you have any hobbies? Yeah, I have a lot of hobbies. Actually, I've been singing since my childhood. Been a singer, though I've not learned singing, but uh, yeah, even on Facebook, I can be, you know, I could be found uh, using the karaoke app and all those things. I really love singing because that gives me inspiration. And some of the most of, you know, um, what would I say? Like the most challenging periods of my life, I think singing was something that really, you know, made me traverse the distance and come back to myself. So singing is a big part of my hobby. And of course, uh, now writing has become not just a hobby, you know, it's a, like kind of addition to the career. But I love writing poetry as well. And I also dance, by the way. <laughs> oh, singing yeah. and dancing. You yeah. said you were on the stage. Is that true? You, did you, were you involved in any musical productions? Uh, I like actually, yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually was a student leader also. So, um, and you know, so all these things, all the performative arts, I would say, because I've been a speaker that which led me to TEDx as well. So, uh, yeah, I've been on the, like, not particularly for dancing, but for singing and speaking, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so who or what influenced you to begin writing? You were in education and then and teaching and then why did you begin writing? Actually, you know, the reality is that I was born to a mother who's a professor in English. So since childhood, I had a great library at home itself. So I'd been so much into reading that I was writing for a very long time, but like I published my work now. Yeah. So she, your mom influenced you. That's wonderful. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So you say you got involved with TEDx. This is not a, a usual thing. People can't just call up and say they want to be on TEDx. How did you get their attention <laughs> and get involved with them? Yeah, yeah. so actually I was uh, with this group. Actually, we had done a, there's a course in India. Uh, it's called Iron Lady. It's for women's leadership and things like that. So I had done that course and I was working with these ladies amid which uh, this opportunity was floated. So a number of us had, uh, you know, tried for it. And I was not, frankly, it was the COVID time. And um, we were supposed to be submitting our videos. And I just did a, you know, I thought that, like, let's just try. But uh, fortunately, it was chosen. Yeah. So it, it came out to be like that. Yeah. Well, I imagine because you're dynamic. I mean, I've seen you in person on Zoom and you're, you're very dynamic. So I think that's probably why it was chosen, but uh, that's great. So um, please describe a typical day of writing for you. Is there one? (laughs) (laughs) A typical day of writing? Actually, if you ask about the poems, the poems, like the way I write them. So sometimes, you know, the best inspiration happens early in the morning when I'm getting ready. But that's about the poems. When I think of writing something longer, like, you know, the novel that we're talking about. There's one more book that was already written two years ago and one more which is about to come. Those kind of writings, I need, you know, I need a um, kind of a, not just a space, but even time when I can at least spend two days of, you know, like when I'm really free-minded. So that kind of a thing, because I, I've seen many writers take months to write one book. I write it on one go, like one go in the sense it has to be one week or 10 days, something like that. 
So <sighs> then night times I write. Yeah. You write at night, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's I like to write I like to write my time to write is like middle of the afternoon, like four usually I get my okay. best ideas between four and six. Okay. <laughs> that's, when, that's when I write. So, um, how did you get the idea for an embarrassing mm. love story? And also, while you're talking about it, why the two, mm. the two B's? Why the capital B and the little <laughs> B? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so actually, with the capital B and the small B first, uh, I am uh, a believer of numerology, actually. And one of my, uh, you know, uh, friends who's working with it, she, uh, you know, gave this idea. So, you know, to make it more reachable to people, there's some uh, amount of thinking beside that. So that's about the two Bs. And um, writing the story, actually, I uh, this is a story of a real woman, okay? And I've been in touch with her for almost two and a half years. If you ask me, I have not talked to her much. It may be like three to four times. But um, I've been a part of the story, part of the story as in like, you know, she talked to me about it. So uh, on one of these nights in December, when she told me like, you know, one of the final events she was telling me, I got inspired to write a short story on it. So I thought I'll just write it and float it and things like that. And um, I immediately came back, switched on the laptop and things like that. But um, Sitting down for five hours, I managed to write something around 7,000, 8,000 words. Then I realized, okay, let's make it a novel. So it just happened. So, so, so tell us a little bit about this book. Um, I know it's, it's a love story. Tell us about the book. Okay, so it's actually about uh, this lady. And I identify a lot with this lady because, uh, you know, we had a similar life. Of course, her life is different now, but um, so she's also a single mother. I'm also a single mother. And um, so uh, the spiritual intervention, so-called what you call spiritual awakening and things like that, those kind of experiences that happen. And uh, then she's on a twin flame journey. I'd heard a lot about twin flame journey. So she told me about it. And uh, so this is also about how her life transforms. So twin flame is Something like, you know, it's a part of your own soul. It's a part of the same consciousness. When a soul matures enough, then uh, it is split into two so that it can, you know, uh, do the rest of the work in separate bodies, having two experiences at the same time. And when they mature further enough, then they are brought together to finally reunite. So uh, when she was telling me all this, I had known about it as just, uh, you know, uh, like as just a fact. Okay, and she shared with me the details, you know, whatever happened in her life. So suddenly, you know, because we are not prepared, like the society does not prepare us to think of uh, opposing communities or, you know, age gaps as in partnership, like, you know, in romantic partnerships, so-called. We were not prepared for that. However, this brought into, you know, like a lot of change into my mindset as well. And looking at the, you know, uh, like her emotions, I don't know about the masculine the divine masculine, you call it. So that really inspired me, the way her life changed, the way she changed herself. You know, it really inspired me to, uh, like, write the story down. So it is about her journey um, and, you know, how she finally uh, reunites with her twin flame. Well, so you've just answered a couple of questions that I had for you. But um, 
do you believe that two people who are 20 years apart and from different backgrounds in every way can fall in love? Oh, for sure. I'm, I don't think age or community has anything to do with love. I mean, like we have boxed things like, you know, like we always want to arrange everything. I think the best of things just uh, come into our lives by themselves. I think God has already like got a plan, a better one than us. So age gap and uh, of course we are given these filters since childhood that, okay, you know, um, maintain the difference of age and maintain the difference of community and you know um, once you grow up your parents are going to find out for you or even if you find out please better find out a person who's around your age or your community but I don't think emotions are you know emotions cannot be put into boxes an emotion as divine as love I don't think it can be put into boxes and uh, I think uh, love is very much possible between people of you know 20 years apart or you know I think a lot of people just keep it in their hearts and perhaps not talk about it. It's quite possible, I believe. Okay. That's, yeah. I, um, so let me let me go back and ask you, um, do you have any... Do, so how common do you think it is to have couples with this age difference? Yeah, it may not be common actually. Uh, that's very true. It's uh, it may not be common at all because a lot of us are not ready to, uh, and it's lesser to do with daring or having a courage. It's more to do with a logical mind. You know, um, we are brought up in such a manner that we believe that no, perhaps we'll not be accepted. Perhaps there'll be a lot of problems. You know, in the generation gap and things like that. So, um, you know, I think these things actually stop us from doing that. But I believe uh, love is a connection much beyond that, much beyond a generation gap or something like that, you know, that uh, I was born in the 90s or you were born in whatever age. I think people connect over age. And even if it is not quite frequent to see people like that, um, I think there are people. And in fact, most of these people are people who have created a difference in the society. I think the ones who actually have the courage to move ahead and, you know, have a faith in their intuition. Yeah. So you, you don't think it's common, but you think that it should be more common that people are afraid. Yeah, I believe yeah. that, you know, you should be, uh, you should be real. That's what I believe. You know, a lot of times we're be not real. Be real. I like that. Ending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that we very much. Ending. We should be real. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So do you have any, you said you mentioned that you had some works in progress. Are they to be published? Uh, yes, there's one more right now. Actually, there's one book which is already written, but uh, it's not coming into publication right now. The other one that's going to be released around the Mother's Day is uh, about divine feminine, like, you know, how to awaken your divine feminine. Oh, on that. that's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's <Yeah>. very 70s <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everyone was trying to awaken their divine feminism in the, in the 70s you know you were all awakening everything so um, I know you had a book launch okay so please tell our listeners where they can find you okay 
Um, yeah. Just also yeah. put them under the in the paste Facebook post so that we can yeah. see your links. Yeah, yeah, I'm there on Facebook as well as Instagram, LinkedIn, like you know, <laughs> I'm there everywhere. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, uh, on Instagram my name is Ardent Arunima, and on um, Facebook Arunima Sana with a double A, <laughs> both the times. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't imagine that's your real name. It's just that, is it is it that your real name Arunima with two A's, or is it just no, that? That's also a work of numerology. Yeah, so you like you know, I have uh, a lot of um, you know belief in that system. So I also adopted it. <laughs> numerology. Yeah. I've started to get interested in that because they've been sending me posts about you know emails about it and um they gave me my lucky numbers and <laughs> oh, okay do you use them <laughs> i don't know they're four nine and two so <laughs> I, I don't know none of them seem to be on today so <laughs> so okay. i don't know um I've also gotten involved with moon readings, but um, they're they're very interesting. So, um, mm. but I I don't want to give anyone money. So I <laughs> I get to a certain point, and then say, well, we can we can add on more to this reading, and I think, no, I don't want to give you any money. So. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes so I know you had a book launch on Zoom. Yeah. I was there. Um, will you be having any other uh, book signings or book talks, either in person or online? Uh, yeah. So, like, none of them are finalized as such right now because, uh, you know, my <laughs> school education work was on and it's the final term. So, I postpone all of them. Most likely in the first week of April, something will be there on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll be looking forward to that. And um, yeah, and you'll put all your links on the on the Facebook post so we can see them. And finally, my last question. Yeah, I always yeah. ask all my guests. Um, okay. Are you a plotter or a pantser? In other words, do you outline or do you just write? Okay, actually. Uh, I don't know which side to put myself because um, like the poetry happens like right away, like a spontaneous overflow of emotions. But uh, with the book, I like to plan a bit. Like, you know, I really like to uh, put a structure and then when I'm writing, then it just goes into the flow. Like, so uh, I don't do know how you, many... Yeah, yeah. You, you develop characters and plot? So, uh, um, actually, uh, whenever I get the idea even for a short story or something like that. So whenever I get the idea, I put it on paper first, whatever is coming to my mind. It may transform into a 10 pages note as well. But uh, then it really helps to write the story at a flow. Like even this one, Embarrassing Love Story, I wrote it on uh, over six nights, like five hours each night or wow. two hours, two hours. Six nights? Yeah. Because the plan was there. The plan was like, really, you know, the foundation was very really strong. So, you know, the typing went on. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Because I I have written um, most of a novel in 30 days, but six nights. 
yeah i think like everyone has a way of working things out yeah uh, <laughs> wow. so perhaps you revise a lot yeah you have to revise a lot in that case right yeah, I, i revise after that <laughs> the first half right. was ready in six days right the first half was ready in six nights and i'd also say you know sometimes i don't know how many authors actually connect with this idea that when you're writing sometimes you also write things that you're not even aware of like you know when you read parts of it seems like you know you've not written or something like that how did it come <laughs> so uh, like whatever it is you know uh, inspiration or you know so it just happens i can't imagine that really mm. yeah it- I have written quite a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. of uh, quite a few novels and um I I could not possibly imagine doing it in six nights. That's really quite a feat. Thank you. So um much. Yeah. Yeah, um I I uh I wonder how do you do it? I just I have to ask that. How do you do it? Yeah, no, so I I definitely, you know, that's what I'm trying to say that, you know, uh, I heard a few authors talk about this inspiration thing. I it just comes. Like, you know, it just comes and sometimes, you know, like even today I was reading some parts of my own book. I was wondering that some parts I don't know, like I think it's in, in the flow, it just goes. Like for 5 hours, tick 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 I'm like typing, typing. so it happens and then yeah so i think there that's where the uh, planning like comes up it just happens yeah <laughs> even the previous book it's not published right now that also i written over i think 5 hours uh, that was like one fourth of the this particular book this is not a novel so yeah so yeah. so i i understand that it just happens because that happens to me a lot yeah yeah I don't understand how you can have it just happen in 6 days. Cuz my life I guess your life is a little um different than mine cuz I couldn't possibly like write one day and then write the next cuz it doesn't work that way for me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I want to say hi to my very good friend Delaney Oaks. in the chat room and um thank you for coming out and being part of the show. So, okay. So, um I am going to you now. We have two more minutes, three more minutes. Um and I just wanted to um say that I am just thrilled to have talked with you because I found so much joy in Thank that you book. So much. I, it was excited, early yeah. in the morning for me. <laughs> <laughs> And I got it from Musimi Musimi Sashteve. She is the publisher of Griffin Publications where this yeah. book is published. And a beautiful book. And I, I went on the Amazon website and it said I was going to buy it. I wanted to read it but it said okay. it was $247. Okay, dollars. Okay, okay. That much in dollars, okay. It could be yeah, a Yeah, Mosimi said she was going to give me the 
the, the new link, but uh, that she was going to talk to them and give me the new link, but I never got it. So I'm going to okay. go back on and check, but I hope it isn't $247 because that would be really hard for you to get readers <laughs> at that price. <laughs> no, it will be on Kindle in some days. So anyway, I'll remind her about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know, I like paperback books. Even but I, I also that. like Kindle because they're, they're so easy to read, you know, and at any time you can just, yeah, you know, you can write have them. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I am going mm-hmm. to um, mute you now, Arunima. Yeah. What a delightful okay. experience learning about you and your life. And what is your son's name? Okay, so I have two sons. One is Chinmay and the other one is Sanvit. And how old are they? Uh, the older one is nine, and the younger one is seven. And you do all this with nine and seven-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. You are truly mm-hmm. divine. <laughs> I think they are divine because, you know, they are a huge support in my life. They are really very understanding. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really great. So I'm going to mute you now. Okay. And it's been a pleasure. And you come back at the end of this interview. Okay, don't go away. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Okay, great. Okay. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Hello. Hello, Lee. You're back, yes. You're back. That was very interesting. I certainly, um, we both, I think, have a lot in common with Arunima. Very interesting. Yes. I know. I can't wait to talk with her again. And um, the, the whole idea of Twin Flames, it's its funny. I don't know if you watch Vanderpump Rules, but I have I been don't. watching Vanderpump Rules. And it, there's a big, 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 big thing going on. Somebody cheated on somebody else and with someone from the group. And... Somehow the idea of twin flames came into this situation, and they they talked about it, and somebody said, twin flames, what's that? And they said, oh, it's big now. I've heard it on, I heard someone talking about it. And I thought to myself, they have no idea what twin flames are. (laughs) Anyway. Are you still there? I'm still here. I'm listening. Okay. Your interview is about to begin. And um, so, so <laughs> when I was writing your questions, I found it very hard because Lee and I know each other a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so here goes. Where were you born and where do you live now? Born in Boston, Massachusetts, and living in Riverside, Connecticut, which is a part of Greenwich, Connecticut. Yes, yes. And I was in your lovely home. It's quite lovely. Thank you. um, Yeah. And um, let's see what else now. Um, Let's get this now. Okay. So besides writing, what is your occupation? 
Well, I started my life as a high school English teacher, and I stopped to raise a family. And then at age 50, re-entered the workforce, and I became involved in several nonprofits, uh, doing really interesting things on both the administrative and the directorial levels of uh, several of these really interesting stuff. But um, I see your next part of the question is, do you have any hobbies and what are they? Right, do you have any hobbies and what are they? Yes. Well, um, during those years that I was at home, um, I had the chance to be able to indulge myself, you might say, in things that really interested me. And by the time I reentered the workforce, I was able to turn those hobbies, quote-unquote, into uh, sources of income, and uh, I was able to be, be very proud of doing that, but also um, loving doing them all at the same time. And one of those was uh, to become a professional photographer. And at this point, um, the last um, couple of decades anyway, um, I've been a, a professional um, photography lecturer and judge. I had a column on photography in the Greenwich Time and then the Greenwich Citizen for some 26 years back, I'd say, about a couple of decades ago also. But I still enter art shows, and I occasionally earn income from selling some of my uh, photographic work, and some of it is in my book. Um, Up until COVID, I was still earning income from being a paid section leader for several different choirs over the years. And um, I've been paid token sums anyway for singing in um, three different opera companies over the years in the courses, um, not as a professional uh, singer in that regard. Um, But these activities are are passions for me. So it's been so wonderful to do what I love. In fact, I'm I'm driven to do them. I, I wouldn't be complete. I wouldn't be whole if I weren't doing these activities. So the writing of this book is part of that drive I feel to be creating in these ways. But I feel so lucky to have had these in my life. Not sure if I lived somewhere else, if I would have had the opportunities that I've had to engage in all of these things at at a fairly high level, and I'm really grateful for that. So you've been a teacher and head in many nonprofit groups. How would you say your past experiences have helped you in your writing? Well, um, if I were writing fiction, I would have a lot of juicy stuff. But that just, fiction has never really been my interest. Um, my photography column was always about factual stuff. And my book is a series of interviews of people on the topic of extraordinary revelations. And so it's nonfiction. So I can't say that my past experiences that I just uh, was talking about directly impacts what I'm doing, except perhaps in my ability to to deal with people and my experience in writing um, combined. Mm -hmm. So who or what influenced you to begin writing? Well, um, I would have to say, I, you know, when I was a child, it was during the war years, and uh, by the time I was old enough to ride my bike, I was off to the library all the time, and uh, spent a lot of my time reading. And then in high school, um, I had, I was in an advanced English class with a teacher who really 
encouraged me, and then I went on to be an English major in college. And uh, I think that really set me on the path toward the things I'm doing. And plus it was a place where I could engage in these many activities, the singing. I wasn't doing photography then, but um, it's all a case of opportunity, I'd say. So, um, yeah, let's see. Have Please describe a typical day of writing for your listeners, for our listeners, <laughs> that your listeners do. Well, I listen with great interest to Arunima because mine couldn't be more different, uh, particularly in regards to the book. When I was writing my photography columns, I would take some photos and see an instant thing that I could write about and I'd sit down and I'd write the columns and they were every two weeks Um, and that was very easy for me to do but I didn't have a clear idea of where I was starting with this book it was only a seed of an idea and when things began to happen when I began to Uh, find people to speak to about the topic of extraordinary revelations, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I guess. Um, I started a book without any idea where it was going. I never had spoken to anyone else about having personally had uh, personal revelations, which um, extraordinary revelations, which I should define at this point, as an experience that comes to you from outside yourself sears itself into your soul and generally has a personal message for you. Having had these, nobody ever talks about them. So when the idea popped into my head um, from somewhere else, I think, uh, to write a book about it, once uh, the other side of my brain said, you've got to be kidding. You don't know a single person who's had this experience. Where are you going to go with this? But um, the title came to me shortly thereafter, and shortly after that, I ran into uh, five people in one week who told me stories, revelation stories, without my ever having mentioned the word. So I realized that something extraordinary was happening to me, and it was um, unsettling, but I just kind of went with it. And uh, my typical day of writing um, (laughs) was occasional because I started by um, writing up a survey which I would give to each person as they came to me along the way. Very, very detailed survey, (laughs) I may add. (laughs) Well, yes, because I intended, I wanted to find out more from other people about what their experiences were. So everyone did the survey, and then I interviewed them, as you know, either in person or over the phone, and two of these years were during COVID. So, I mean, this was very difficult to say the least, and yet incredibly wonderful in a way. And then I would uh, listen to the tape, tape, uh, type it out, transcribe it, uh, give each person um, it it exactly as it had happened uh, with a possible edit here and there, and then the person would suggest it as we go back and forth. I'd say I did about a minimum of five edits per person times 25 people, huge number of edits. That is a lot of edits. That's a lot of edits. So I okay. I don't regret so, them. Um, right. So we now know why you you wanted to write 
the book. You were compelled to write it. And I remember yes. you getting up at an open mic and saying to us that you were writing this book. And that's all you did. You took that time to tell us that you wanted people to come up to you <laughs> if they had ever had what you called a revelation. And I thought to myself, whoa. I, you know, I've never heard of anyone who wanted to hear what had happened to me. Um, um, and so I thought, maybe this is happening to other people, you know, maybe... Maybe it wasn't so unusual. And when you told me how many people were in this book, I was so amazed. Um, So how did you come up with the title? It literally came to me. In that first week, when the idea first came to me, when I wake up in the morning is often when things pop into my head. And it wasn't until I looked back and the way in which people came to me and and I found people for the book, or they found me in many cases, um, that I realized that I seemed to have had little control over that part of it. I would love to take credit for thinking up this wonderful title and, you know, and a lot of other stuff that happened in the book, but truly I've had help. I can't tell you exactly whom, but... Um, I can say that, um, my goodness, the number of coincidences that exist in almost every story in the book, which I cataloged as I went along without realizing why I was doing it. But when you read the book, you can see how I met the various people, how their stories came to be, and it goes on and on. So I just look all the way back and say, that title came to me. And, you know, it... In that yeah, time, uh, in that particular um, time when you heard me speak, there were 18 people in the room, as I recall. Yes. And it was the first time many of them had, well, probably 17 people had ever heard of this topic before. And I just asked them to tell me if they'd ever had an experience like that. And eight out of the 18 got back to me. That's, and I was amazing. floored. That's a lot of people. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I was going to ask you, you've written any other books before this one, and how did the writing of those books influence you to write this? Uh, not at all, because I have not written another book. I oh, okay. That's amazing. So how would you define the word revelation for the book? Well, I I did previously. It's that experience that comes to you from out of nowhere, from outside of yourself, sears itself into your soul, and generally has a personal message for you. Now, that's my definition. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. So anybody's ever had any kind of experience like this, you've had a revelation. So (laughs) if you're thinking to yourself, what happened to me? is this really happening? Did this really happen? And you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, I'm not dreaming, and this really happened. Then you had a revelation. Um, How did you handle interviewing these people, since this is a very private topic? And also, some of the interviews were done during COVID. How did you manage them? Well, you know, 
it, it was always a, a personal connection. I think, you know, when you told me that you'd had this experience, we felt very connected. And uh, it's an opening of your heart. It's a very deep experience. And it's such an unusual one that um, you understand what someone else has been through. And I found this with, with each of the people that I interviewed um, when we when I first found out about it or we first began to talk it's um, it's a very precious moment because um, very frequently members in people's own family don't know about this because you don't know how to approach the topic and usually topics like this are meant with a great deal of skepticism because you've either had an experience and you know you can't explain it or you haven't, and uh, it's a very awkward position to be in. But each of these people were very brave, and um, I'm eternally grateful to you and everyone else in the book for sharing these stories because they are so deep and so real to them. It's like, well, in one of my experiences, seeing um, an image cast on the wall by a a beautifully clear projector and you're looking at it and you know there's no projector and you're looking at it and one part of your brain is saying, what is going on here? And the other part is trying to engage with and understand what you're seeing. Very difficult. Yeah, exactly. It's a very, your brain is saying, what is going on here? And your body is feeling stuff and you don't know what's going on and you just, it's just crazy. So, um, Well, there's a level of trust there that's very important. Um, Right. And also, some of the interviews were done during COVID. How did you manage them? Oh, dear, my dog is here. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know I love your dog, so that's not a problem for me. Oh, you <laughs> no, it's it's knowing when you hear it that this is this person's truth. And I had uh with every single person I knew I was hearing their personal truth. And um COVID maybe enhanced our ability to do that because we were all quite fragile, I think, during COVID. And to connect to somebody on that level over the phone and to share that kind of information with somebody else was was extremely moving and i think it was on both sides i feel deeply connected to each and every person um, in the book and as i say i'm very grateful to them i'd like to add by the way that um of the 25 people there was a really good mix and understanding that i was not seeking people based on their ethnicity their age or anything else but the way things happened the the people are in the book in the order in which we somehow connected with each other but it turns out to be a good mix and there are people who are religious or call themselves religious and those who choose to say they're non-religious and it's a mix of denominations and religions among those who say they are religious. And um, 
yet the word spiritual came up more often than religious. Um, the book is not a book about religion. It's a book about the experiences that people have had with these extraordinary revelations. So it, it tiptoes along the edge of religion, you might say, in that um, I personally had um, a vision of, of Jesus who came to me in, with a particular message, and later on, um, a young woman in medieval dress, which uh, totally flummoxed me. I had no idea what was going on. And uh, many years later, I discovered she was a saint, and she had come to me to give me the choice to live or die and join her and the multitude in heaven, which I was looking at when I saw her. And um, it's, uh, then was, the book became my journey of discovery, and uh, I learned something from everybody in the book. And uh, I hope that in return, as they each read the books that I have given them, and you included, that you have found uh, someone um, that speaks to you and your experience as well. Would, would you oh, like so to many. tell you? <laughs> so many speak to oh, I'm me. Glad, um, I'm glad to so, hear that. Would you like to tell your experience? Not yet. Um, okay. So how are the senses involved in these revelations? Well, I discovered along the way that each one of them seems to be based um, on, the, on a sense. Um, and I'd say all of them were involved in one way or another, not all in one. The only story I uh, didn't come up with, uh, or rather the only um, sense that I didn't find in any of the stories was the sense of taste, but um, they certainly all involved sight, sound, smell even, or and or touch. Yeah, that's very interesting, very interesting. So um, how ordinary do you think it is to have one of these revelations? Well, you know, I just described the 8 out of 18 two years later. Um, no, it was more than that because it's taken me over five years as opposed to uh, Arunima, uh, five years to, <laughs> five years. to do, yeah, five, over five years to do um, all of these interviews to find the people and connect with them and write them up and, and all of this. But... Um, I did an open mic at the Cobb Library just before the book was published in December, so I think it may have been in November, and there were 22 people in the room, and I took the moment. Since it was a random mix, they hadn't come to hear me talk about revelations. It was anybody could, could show up, and they did, and I simply introduced the topic and defined revelations and then asked how many people in the room uh, thought they had had revelations, and half the people, 11 of the 22 half. in the room, half the people. 11. And afterwards, several people were standing there waiting to talk to me, and I actually drove a woman uh, home who was waiting to call a taxi, and and she had um, several stories. So wow. um, based on these two samples, I'm, I literally think uh, that maybe as many as half of the people in the world because these happen to people throughout every culture and during all times uh, since recorded history um, that either 
people have had them or know someone who has them. And if I can judge by the people I bump into walking dogs and who uh, happen to chat about something that brings this topic up, um, it's shocking the number of people who have had them. Shocking how many people I know who have them or knew uh, before I found out that they too have had these. So I think the number is very, very high. And uh, I am hoping to prove that to some degree um, in the website I've created with the idea that I want to lift this topic up into the light where we can begin to talk about it and uh, have conversations that will helpfully, uh, hopefully rather, help people to process their experiences and begin to own them. It took me so long to process. I'm still processing, but to own them. And on the website, there is uh, a survey. And my website is www.leepainwriter. That's L-E-E-P-A-I-N-E-W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And when you go there, you'll see the survey. It's free. You can just click on it. It's very similar to the survey that I gave to all the people who are in the book. And I'm hoping to get large numbers of this. As Some of the listeners have um, friends or family who've had revelations. Please direct them to the, to the website because the more people I get, who fill out the survey, which will ask questions about not their exact experience, but the types and forms of uh, revelations that they've had and whether it's a religious belief or not a religious belief, I'm going to have some really uh, wonderful statistics, I hope, to uh, produce in a blog that's on the same site. It's free, and you can sign up for that while you're there. So I hope to prove there are large numbers of people who have these and uh, raise the conversation in a lot of different places where people can safely discuss it. Wow, it's so wonderful having you as a guest because I don't even have to ask you questions. You've gone through so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Am I confusing you? <laughs> so, so, okay. Uh, I will be reading my own revelation later in this. Do you want to tell us about yours or do you want to wait? Oh, we have someone on the line. Hold on. Um, okay. I think we have someone on the line. Hello, caller. This is Adrian. Adrian, you're on the line. Adrian. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Adrian is such a big part of this book. Well, Indeed, I just wanted to ask if, if Lee is going to, is she thinking about writing another book? I've been listening the whole time. I, I, I just wanted to ask that question. I'll go off. But, uh, no, you can stay. You can definitely okay. stay. You are totally here. Just stay on the line. Okay. Well, Adrian, so, thank you. It's a it's a very scary thought um, because the first one took me five <laughs> years, and I am eighty one. Uh, however, I if I did one again, I would absolutely um, do speech to text, and uh, that would change everything. I probably have heard. Um, a hundred stories from people since when people have bought the book they 
sometimes are just sending me things and i'm i'm delighted to receive them because as i do book talks um instead of reciting stories that are in the book i already have uh, three or four more that i can present there because the more stories we get the more um we can share our experiences together and that's my whole thing so the answer can I is share it's something possible. with you please can i share something with you my friend Delaney in the chat room is looking at your survey now. That's wonderful. So um, do you have any upcoming book talks or book signings, either in person or online? I do, and I'm happy to say I've got two things coming up. Um, Christchurch in Greenwich um, at the Dogwood Bookstore. They're having a local author's book sale signing, and it's on Saturday, February 15th from 11 to 2. And um, there's at least one other pen woman going to be there, um, the current president, uh, Lee, uh, will be there. And um, the second one will be at Parrot Memorial Library, Sound Beach Avenue, Old Greenwich, Connecticut, on Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. And the interesting thing about this is that you can attend in person, but you may also attend online. And you would do that by checking uh, the Parrot's website closer to the date. But I think it's the first time they've done live and online at the same time. Yeah, I know Greenwich does it, but I don't think Parrot does it very much. Well, they haven't yet, but they offered it to me. And so I chose that because um, there are people in the book who live very far from here and family that's far flung and uh, college mates and lots of other uh, people who I think would like to be a part of this. So I'm looking forward to that very much. So, again, it's Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at the Parrot Memorial Library. Great. So finally, one more question I always ask everyone. And um, are you a plotter or a pantser? In other words, do you outline or you just write? Well, I plot out what I'm going to say when I'm speaking, but I pants it when I'm writing. (laughs) (laughs) I just let it go, let it flow. So at this time, Lee, would you be willing to um, tell us your revelation? Well, um, it's not an easy task, but um, I need to practice doing it. Um, and as you know, it can get very emotional. I'll okay, tell do the... you want to wait then and let me introduce one more guest who just popped in? What would you like to do? It's up to you. Well, It's then, up to you. Do, uh, if you don't feel then, ready to tell it, no, I think I think I. I think I'd prefer to round it out by by finishing, perhaps, with that. Okay. So so that people who have not had this experience will understand a little bit more what it's like. Okay, Um, so I'm going to unmute Arunima and introduce my next guest, Cynthia Sharp. Hi, Barbara. Hi, everyone. Cynthia, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a poet in Vancouver. I've really enjoyed this past hour. It's been mesmerizing and also really inspiring um, for writers. 
So I'm a poet and screenwriter and fiction writer in Vancouver, Canada, and mostly focused on poetry today. I have a new book out called Ordinary Light, which I think theme. We're talking a lot about ordinary and the extraordinary and the ordinary today. So I'm looking at nature. Yes, it does seem very synergetic. (laughs) I I, I thought it was so synergetic when I looked at the list of guests and what everyone was talking about, because that's what my book is about. It's about um, the beauty of the ordinary and the value of the ordinary, and especially in terms of climate change prevention, um, learning to appreciate the simple, ordinary parts of our lives that are beautiful, the trees the way they should be, the sky without smoke. So my book is um, about appreciating what we want and what we have and also um, being aware of the steps we have to take to preserve and protect it. Well, I would like to introduce you to uh, my friend Lee Payne, who I think you know. I think we've met through your Greenwich Women's Group. Yes, we did. Yes, yes, you you were on our poetry Zoom, yes. And, and Arunima Sinha, who I think uh, you would love to meet. So. Hi. Hi. Hi, <laughs> And so um, this is the part of the program that is unscripted. So I think Cynthia should tell us more about her book, and then we'll go back to Lee's book, and maybe Arunima can read something too. So, Cynthia, do you want to read something from Ordinary Life? That would be wonderful. I think the book says it even better than me talking about it. Um, So, um, my book opens with just a little little, um, image. Petals, shade, texture, light, story. That was written just looking at the beauty of a flower. And then I'll take you into the next. And the second poem is called Earth Medicine. When sunlight permeates rainforest winter, blackbirds ascend from violet bark, soft clouds drift into ancient dragonflies, moving like wind across the sky. On those rare days when the blue in the raven's wings shines in the light, Go through the open doors. I think that ties in with a lot of what we're talking about, about believing in ourselves, trusting ourselves, trusting our intuition. And I'll read one more. I love this one because in his dragonflies and open doors and light shining, it's just so beautiful. I feel called to every day to go out and walk in nature. And I think that's my healing and... um, Recalibration, in a sense. Uh, this I next agree. Poem was written, yeah. um, we were all assigned a hymn and then asked to write a poem that complements the hymn. And for me, um, I was thinking about how the pandemic has taught us the value of slowing down and how we can apply that to climate change prevention. Um, to learn to appreciate the beauty in every day and that it's not a sacrifice, it's a gift. So this poem is called each step with the earth. It starts with the camera taking me for strolls, teaching me to listen to the stories of flowers. And from my window, 
On immobile days, the clouds, my bedspread a Mexican beach, journeys inner, each step with the earth, a blessing, celebration rather than sacrifice, Easter rather than Lent, to walk and absorb my community, to travel great distance on foot, learn the names of local shop owners, Give thanks for beaches, foliage, and clean air most days. Bend down to see cappuccino-striped snails drinking rainwater from concave orange maple leaves. Help purple starfish back into the sea, allowing simplicity to heal. Uh, Anyone else want to comment on this? Because I'm just like... Anyone else? Well, I I love Cynthia's voice to start with. It's it's enchanting. And um the poem is beautiful, but it's so enhanced by the way she reads it and the whole ex- it's it's a total experience and it's wonderful. I know Cynthia is just absolutely amazing. Um, Delaney says lovely images. Arunima, do you have something to say? Yeah, I was like, like just flowing with the, you know, I was into, I was actually visualizing all those things and being very soothing while she was speaking, especially with the voice, you know, the way she, you know, maintained the calmness and, you know, the voice. Lovely. I find, I find Cynthia's poetry so beautiful and they're all in here like this. I started reading and I just, I love her her work so much because it's so, she always manages to get colors in there in in almost every poem. And and they're unusual colors like cappuccino brown snails, striped snails, you know. So, uh, Arundama, you are also a poet. I don't think I've heard or read any of your poetry yeah uh, actually i'm about to like i'm thinking like in another three four months i'll publish my anthology and uh, most of them are either love poetry or uh, again related to nature oh that's very good um now do you want to read us a little bit from an embarrassing love story uh-huh. uh, want to <laughs> okay yeah there was this um, there's this actually chapter in which, uh, because, uh, you know, I want to read this particular part because uh, some part of it is not Ranjana, Ranjana, who is the leading character. Some part of it actually is Arunima because, you know, I got the skeleton of the story and by building the tissues and organs, some part of it is me. So I also had, like, you know, when you were talking about revelations and all those things, so number of revelations and uh, one of past life, life experiences, so uh, this one is quite similar to mine as well. So I just read a, you know, a bit from there. Yeah. Wow. So, um, Are you willing to share with Lee those those experiences? Because that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, I've written down. I've written down the thing. I'll I'll go there and I'll write about you know number of my experiences. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Most welcome, ma'am. Thank you so much. So uh, this is the part in which uh, the leading character is actually having a vision. So it starts like this. 
In the haze, suddenly, Ranjana looked at her hands, which were that of a baby, a three-year-old perhaps, and she realized there was a familiar voice greeting her while she was sitting on someone's lap. Oh, this was so serene and warm. She had always been there, and the lap and the voice belonged to her uncle, Chachu as she called him, her father's younger brother, who had died years ago. The way he looked at her was so endearing. This felt like heaven. In his hand was the part of the chocolate she yet had to finish while the leftover was in her mouth and on her mouth while Chachu was trying to wipe it clean. You leave me alone every time, Chachu, she said complainingly while Chachu smiled disagreeing with her. I'm all this with you, was his reply, which confused her and she wanted to retort. Suddenly, when she looked up, the haze had thickened and she was sitting alone. She found someone approaching out of the mist. Chachu, she said smiling. But her voice had changed and she realized that she was much taller. Her eyes met someone whom she knew yet did not know. So actually, you know, this part of the story, uh, her twin fame was actually there in her previous, in her, this particular life itself. The 20 years age gap was because the twin flame was previously her uncle. And then he's reborn, comes into the same locality as another boy. Yeah. Oh, I had chills when I listened to that. <laughs> so mystical. I, I'm just in awe. Also very beautifully performed. Thank you so much. So beautiful, the writing. Yes. I have I really enjoyed that. Now I I have to read this. (laughs) So, um, okay, uh, I guess it's... Lee, are you ready now or you want to wait? Because I could read. I'll I'll be happy to do it now. Um, I'm going to read it. It's it's not very long. Um, But I want to make it experiential because the book is experiential. As you read Mm -hmm. the story, you are there with the person. But not everybody has had uh, an experience like this. And so in the beginning of the book, I ask people to think a certain way. So that's what I'm doing here. So I'm going to uh, read this part to you and ask you to first, Take several deep breaths to clear your mind and relax your body. And I'm going to do that right now. Until you can feel your shoulders drop and your neck loosens up. Good. And then place yourself mentally into this situation. You are 39 years old, a parent of three small children, and you are in bed just waking up in the morning. The sunlight is filtering into the room. And you roll your head to the left to see the alarm clock which says 6.15 a.m. You are totally at rest. Body still asleep, brain empty of all thoughts, but this is your favorite 15 minutes of the day when you can just exist without tension or interruption like a dog barking. Like my Uh, dog, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Very timely, though, before the alarm goes off and your busy day begins. But your eyes are open because you're a photographer and you love watching the light create patterns on the window shades 
and it, it slowly washes away shadows from the walls as the clock ticks towards 6.30. Suddenly, on the far closet wall, you see a startling image as sharp as it focused through a projector lens. It is the face of a young man in his late 20s, seen in a large oval that is at least three feet tall, that is hanging improbably above the left-hand closet door in the high-ceilinged room, the bottom of the oval e- even dripping slightly over the top molding of the closet door. In the next second, you process that the man has the most beautifully bronze skin you have ever seen and copper-colored eyes. His long, brown, but coppery, sun-streaked hair is flowing down out of sight past his small mustache and beard. He has a very long, thin face and nose, and his head is slightly turned to his left, so that he's looking slightly down directly at you. Your eyes meet. You know with great certainty in that second that this is Jesus Christ. And although you see no particular expression on his face, a clear message is communicated to you that everything will be all right. In the next second, he has gone so quickly that your heart hasn't even started beating wildly as it will in the next few seconds. Quick, what is your first thought and your second thought and the thought right after that? And the reason I raise these questions is that an experience like uh, an extraordinary revelation makes you question everything you know. You question your sanity. You question your faith or lack of faith. You simply don't know how to process it. And um, I wished at that moment that I had been perhaps been brought up differently but um, my first reaction was, he must have made a mistake. Why would he come to me? And then, uh, if, if God is God, why didn't God send me someone I would better understand? Because I was raised a Unitarian, and Unitarians do not believe in uh, Jesus as anything more than one of many prophets. So it gets uh, the book... Tiptoes along the edge of religion in the sense that um, two of my uh, revelations were people who that uh, who I didn't understand from a religious perspective, and other people have had experiences they can't explain to themselves too. It's very much a part of what's going on, and perhaps that would lead right into you, Barbara, with your revelation. Barbara? Barbara, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. It it might be a a good lead-in. No, I muted myself for you because my dog was barking. But yes, I told this experience to other people, and when Lee said this at the at the at the library that open mic I said huh I should probably tell her this is this a revelation so um, I will preface this by the fact that my mother was extremely ill at the time and I was called by the nurse 
to come and see her, that there she didn't have much time. And so I ran, um, I, I, I literally drove like a maniac from where I lived, which was about 45 minutes on the highway with tears in my eyes. And this is my story. On March 15th, 1990, I walked into my mother's room in a hospital on Long Island. She had been very ill since the beginning of the year with multiple cancers, and now she had gone into a coma. A nurse had been by her bedside, and my mother was lying peacefully with her eyes closed. When I came into the room, I was walking with a cane. A month or two before, I fell on on my driveway on black ice and had contusions on my right calf muscle. I had also fallen on a wet floor in the hospital a week before this and injured my right wrist. I was in a lot of pain. I was scared at first to go in there because the phone call had said she was dying and that I needed to get over there immediately. So I left my two daughters, ages 8 and 11, with my husband, and I drove to the hospital with tears blurring my vision. My mother was too young to die. She was only 73. And in my 50s myself, I didn't know what I was going to do without her. I went into the room, and the nurse told me to hold her hand. I did take her hand and held it. As soon as I did that, I felt better and started reading the newspaper the nurse had left there for me. I was watching TV, too, and listening to my mother's breathing. At one point, a technician came in and gave her a breathing treatment. I couldn't understand why it was ordered for a dying woman. It was early evening, and I just continued watching TV and listening to her breathing, and the time came when it stopped for a second. Then it started again, and then it definitely stopped. The second that it stopped, I felt a strong, warming current, like an electrical force came from my mother's hand into mine, and it traveled through my entire right side down into my calf muscle and stayed there, warm as a heating pad in my leg. In that minute, though, I looked up and realized that my mother was gone, and then I panicked. My mother's wishes had been to have her teeth in her mouth after she died, and they were nowhere to be seen. When I got up to get the nurse to tell her about my mother's death and to find her teeth, I found that I could suddenly walk without my cane. My leg was completely healed, and so was my wrist, even though my mother didn't know about that injury. Unbelievably, and in the very next second after the the healing, I happened to glance at the TV, and the saying on the screen of Wheel of Fortune was, the time is now. I said to myself, what just happened? 
I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was so overcome by grief that my mother had just passed away that I couldn't think of how to process the other things that had just happened. Later, I realized that I could not have imagined or that I had a hallucination because it was completely a physical experience and it involved all of my senses. Everything was grounding me. The TV was on. I was hearing and seeing it and I was holding my mother's hand. Then I did not did, then I did run to get the nurse. And just as I got there, I saw my brother just stepping off the elevator. And it felt as if my mother had waited until he got into the hospital to die. She loved him so much, I think she wanted to make sure that he was there. My brother knew she was dying, and he said she probably waited for me. It was wild. That night, I had a terrible dream. I was in my bed, and the bedroom was filling up with water. It was rising to almost the level of the bed, and I woke up frightened that we were going to drown. I woke my husband and told him there was water everywhere. He told me to check the floor. I did, and realized it was dry. Someone later told me that having a dream of that water after, after someone has died means that the person is watching you. That next day and for the following 24 hours, I had the most amazing calm feeling. In the Jewish religion, you have to bury the body so fast, as fast as you can. So we had to drive to Queens from... Suffolk County to view her body and the next day we had the funeral I was able to cope with everything and I walked everywhere without my cane I know now that the last day of my mother's life she was still taking care of me I've wondered since why the electrical impulse I felt, which must have been from my mother's brain, since that was all that was left of her, went only down my right side to my injured leg and did not and did not go all over my body. I don't know the answer, but the memory of my mother will always be entwined with that amazing experience. Thank you. And a healing. Yep. I feel so lucky for being here. (laughs) And that that was straight from the book. I read it straight from the book. I remember going to Lee's house and filling out the survey and then talking about it with her. And she was so unbelievably easy to talk with about this. I, and I had never really, I told people about this, but it, I hadn't really explained everything that had gone on. It just, it, it, but put it all together, it just seems like some magical 
wonderful experience had happened to me at that moment. And, I love um, don't try to explain it, Barbara. I love that you leave it mystical and just tell us what you experienced, but have an open-ended interpretation. Yeah, well, I had nothing I could say about it. I still haven't figured it out. I mean, it could be a doctor could say it could be electrical, but still I don't know how she could have known that it was, you know, down my right side, my right, my right, you know, my right, and 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 the wrist, you know, she didn't know about the wrist, and it it, it was pretty weird because um, I was holding her hand with my right hand, and the, that whole experience just like floored me, absolutely. I I didn't say anything to anybody until much, much, much later. I I couldn't process it at all. But anyway. (laughs) What a wonderful one to have had and to share, to have shared. That will give somebody great hope out there, you know, or someone will recognize it as something that happened to them and feel more confident in it. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. And like I said, um, it was, like I said, a uh, a moment in my life that I'll never understand but, but accept. And then when I read all the other revelations in the book, I, I realized that maybe... You know, I they 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 were able to explain it a little bit more, but I always felt that that it was spiritual. That somehow she had been doing it as an angel, or I I, I don't know. I just know that it, it was done, <laughs> and I never needed a cane after that. Never. The important thing is that we're talking about it because uh, there are 76 individual revelations experiences in the book and each is unique and yet there must be millions more. And the more we talk about it, the more we can accept and learn and um, integrate them better into our lives. <clears throat> they're, uh, they're probably a source, well, I'm sure they're a great source of mystery to everybody, but how wonderful to be able to share them. Yeah. It's very exciting to be part of this book because I read so many stories, but I had to stop after some because they just gave me chills and I had to think about them a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Each one is like a, a little lifetime, isn't it? Adrian's stories are amazing. I wish she stayed on the line. Adrian, if you're listening, come back on because I want to talk about your stories. But if not, um, we can talk some more. Um, uh, Cynthia, do you want to read one more poem? That would be wonderful. Thank you. So I'll read um, the poem Sky Flowers. And since Barbara mentioned the colors in my poems, I just want to mention that some of them are written to my friend Jillie Watson's paintings. She lives on an island, um, Bowen Island, which is just a little ferry ride away from Vancouver. So I wrote yes, the paintings are beautiful, and it's on the um, the uh, the cover. 
is one of her yeah, paintings. The cover one is by another beautiful... Um, oh, it is. Oh, right. I know Candace James, my publisher. Candace, so I'm surrounded right. by art. <laughs> so this one is um, Sky Flowers. Branches mingle into buds. A canopy of butterflies setting sail. The blossoming of talent from a hidden cove of ideas. The work of the trunk to manifest largely the kernel within, to dream in blends and bends of a sea-green world, the magnificence and relief of standing tall. We are fluorescent fronds of tree fish, swimming through phosphorescent foam to a clear path of what we deserve to be. The mysticism of color, aura of forest, made tangible. Like ancient dragonflies, the esoteric heart of the world, tasting creation, we embrace permission and freedom to go directly to where we most need and want to be. An island cocoon of love, light, and safety. In the communion of trees we learn Steadily working, day by day, season by season, stretching branches to finally flourish. That self-actualization is for the good of all. Our growth protects others. The evolution of consciousness, mirroring meditation. So I chose that one. I think it goes with everything we're talking about. about Oh, this is so beautiful. (laughs) Sky flowers. Lovely. I was looking at her, um, you know, trees. And I wanted to say, Lee, it was so heartbreaking that that thing we all have, especially as women, of not wanting to trust that Jesus would come to us, that I can so relate to um, that mysticism of... um, not knowing how to trust that we're allowed. That's what that poem is about, about being allowed, about being allowed to trust yeah. that we're part of this story too and wow. we need to trust whatever vision I think comes. we have Adrian back on the line. Are you back on? Yeah, I'm back on. I, I was listening the whole time. I just, I, you know, with my computer and then I called again. Yeah, oh, here. my God. <laughs> this is great. I, I just, I love, absolutely love hearing everyone this is this has just been great and Barb, i didn't get chance to get through um the book yet lee but i promise you i will but this so this is the first time i heard yours barb and that's just beautiful oh that story your story is just absolutely floored me the blind woman that's in yeah. the supermarket oh my goodness Mm-hmm. Just and and now I felt I remembered. I was thinking back when I read your story um, about so much. I, I remembered that when I first met you, I was trying to go back to where we first met, and I think it was at that panel discussion at at the um, the art the art exhibit in um, in Greenwich. I remember looking out in the audience and seeing this face, just, (laughs) your face was so enthralled. And then when I got off the the platform meeting you, I said, oh, 
I have to know this woman more. No, I just <laughs> I just felt it. <laughs> well, it's it's been a, a wonderful and and uh, Cynthia is it who's on the line? Cynthia, yes, yeah, you yeah, met yeah. Cynthia, right? And I, and I and we did the the workshop together. And, yeah, you know, it was just just wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. and Arunima, Arunima, and you would probably be sitting oh, there for Arunima. hours talking. <laughs> The, uh, the the mother who just does everything. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right? If I if it took six hours for me, can you imagine writing a book in in six hours? I mean, come on. <laughs> I wish. I wish I, I could do it. I I could write a poem in six hours. I could poem. Yeah, write I could write a poem. In, poem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Way earlier, but. Arunima, you you are a poet, right? Would you read something of yours? Uh, actually, I was looking at this. I wrote it one morning. Uh, it's like a very small poem. I'll just read it's it. It's okay. Yeah. So uh, this one was like, you know, my kids had broken something, and they were kind of crying on that. So this is, uh, <clears throat> it's called, Laments of the Things Gone By. My boy laments for a trifle toy that he has lost. His tears relentlessly fall without exhaust. I promise to get another from the shop, and lo, the deal is done and the tears stop. I wish someone could also retain my loss of the robust flesh and refrain the mental chaos. Promise days of hope and nonchalance. Take me to the shop where I can buy elation of yours for chance. That's it. <laughs> oh, very cute. That's great. Thank you. That's so I beautiful. I like that a lot. So I would like to share something with you. Um, I just wrote it for International Poetry Day. That was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, it's called To Be a Poet. Posted it on Facebook, but uh, I don't think a lot of people saw it. So I don't usually write in rhyme, but this is in rhyme, so it's it's unusual for me. To be a poet. To be a poet is to open your soul to the world. Secrets hidden deep in your brain come out to the world as word rain. Everything inside of us is unfurled. To be a poet is to see in bright colors what everyone else takes for granted, while the poet sees it and becomes enchanted and uses their palette to paint words in all flavors. To be a poet is to bleed every trace of emotion, send it down in words coming from your heart, taking all the inside commotion and laying it out part by part. It's a thankless occupation for sure, and many see it as frivolous and folly, but the thoughts coming out are pure, and sometimes poems make people melancholy. But not all poetry is sad, and not all poetry takes you down. Some lifts you up and makes you glad, helping to erase your frown. But the truth is a poet cannot contain what is put down on paper or screen, for it is a necessity from their brain to have their words read and seen. So have a care for the poet today, for how many people have their own day. It is a day to celebrate what they have to say, 
for the poet words are their clay. We fashion and mold with only words what artists do with paint and stone. So our creations will be like glass sherds, polished until they have shown. Hmm. Nice. Barbara, you've yeah. been hiding your ability to rhyme all the time. <laughs> 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 this is the first rhyming I've ever heard you do, and you do it so fluently and beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> all those great romantic poets rhyme, like Shelley and people, like... Yes. Um, it's so nice to take that back and own it, too. We're allowed to rhyme, too. And it's so delicious. I mean, all your images. I just don't feel like rhyming. Sometimes things come out in, um, in free verse. But yeah. I have learned sometimes my, my poetry comes out as it wants. <laughs> yeah. So this time it wanted to rhyme. And I, I just... <laughs> Getting that word shirts was hard. <laughs> My author friend, Una Bruns, is in the chat room, and she said she's really enjoying um, all the wonderful readings. Yes. yes another author is. in the audience, Una Bruns, author of Apartheid. Oh, oh, that's she wonderful. She grew up in There's the Apartheid, author. came to Canada and just released a book, and she's just um, um, just saying she's enjoying listening to everybody. Oh, that was wonderful. Tell me, thank you. I think she come... Yeah. Shout out to Unibring. Yeah. Tell her to call in and, 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 and talk. We, you know, we have a lot of, we still have quite a bit of time left. And so um, we can go back around. And Lee, you can read us and tell us another revelation from your book. Well, I actually have a, a poem I dug out here. Does that interest you? Sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of, uh, Lee is in my poetry group. We have um, a poetry group that is from Greenwich Pen Letters. And if you're in Greenwich Pen Letters and you're interested in just reading and writing poetry, we do not critique then, then this is the group for you. Come and contact me in some way. Okay? All right. So, well, this, this was written at a point where I was still struggling with the book, not knowing um, how it was going to end and how long it was going to be. I mean, things just kept coming, and uh, it was difficult. I kept thanking people for giving me the last story in the book, and then I didn't have one. So... This poem is called Life Challenging. So, when we wake up each morning, we never know what this day will bring. Will we be mired in misery or perhaps be inspired to sing? We never ever know as we progress through our day how our life may challenge us or what we might just say in love or even in anger that supports or injures another, another fellow journeyer or friend or even your very own brother. Each day as we get older, we have one less day to live, where we live in distrust and anger, or think instead of what we might give. What is worth fighting about? What's worth holding a grudge? Anger only hurts you, yourself, when you refuse to ever budge and refuse to listen to others whose ideas are different than yours. 
Would you rather shut all your windows or let fresh air in through your doors? Come inevitably when you wake up to find that you're dead. Would you rather be judged by your deeds or by all the things that you said? Both words and deeds really matter. And when all is finished and done, you've either spent your time very kindly, in which case your challenge has been won, or you've spent your time unwisely with all grievances detailed on a sheet, waiting for heaven to punish the other, the tempter, the liar, the cheat. Life's challenges get even bigger. The older we get, we have less time to settle our scores, to let go, forgive, and forget. How should we spend every day then to make sure your life's been worthwhile? Let's write up your sheet for heaven, or I should say let others write up your sheet for heaven, detailing your deeds, your words, and your smile. Aww. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Little, little um, proviso to people. Right. Okay, so as long as we have Adrian on the line, do you have a poem you want to share? Well, I can pull one up that I wrote the other day or or last week. And um, it's real short. It's called Crocuses, Daffodils, and Snowdrops. I saw signs of spring today. While walking, whispers caught my gaze. The garden greens gracefully peeked through dirt. Around the yard, young yellow, thinly veiled buds appear. Between dawn, dusk, daylight now extended. Hens aware, actively attending to laying eggs again. Gentle rain showers share with shoots shaded underground waiting to dance joyfully in the bounty, beautiful, beaming sun, adorned in its fancy, fine furls, glimpses of poses, captured by those who leer, lovingly longing for its safe arrival. Oh, Oh. I love that. (laughs) I love the alliteration at the end, Leah, lovingly longing (laughs) It's all alliterations all throughout each line. I tried, you know, to yes, something new. Yes, great. So. Yes, something <laughs> different. Yes, wonderful. And I just want to tell you that Adriana is new to poetry. She is oh. extremely new. <laughs> My God. And she has like- other talents such as singing and 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 also um, painting. And she, wow. she's she's a, a, a Renaissance person. So, uh, Arunima, do you have something yeah. else you would like to read? Yeah, there's a poem I really wanted to read. Yeah. Okay. So this poem, yeah, it's called Bliss. To be able to voice your opinion is bliss. To not judge, not take judgment is the needed twist. To see yourself mirrored in your twin soul and correct your mistakes, looking at his shortcomings is the ultimate goal. To study, to observe, to experience, to learn. Empowering your hunger, knowing knowledge is endless, to earn. To forgive the other with full head and heart. Realizing your follies, 
heartfelt apologies must start focusing your energies on what god gave thanking divinity and not prioritizing what you crave to be able to answer control and criticism very well to humbly confess your love to god and the person who in your heart dwells that's it wow oh wow and the jerona we speak the same yeah. language Yeah, very nice. Wow. I I also should say that Adrian is an ordained minister too, so she's everything. <laughs> Adrian, would you be willing to share um uh, part of your story um now from from uh, my book? It's of course part sure. of, part of it's your book. Uh everyone who's in it is it's partly yours. So I would love to have you do that if you're mm. willing. Yeah, I would like uh, to hear that in your words too. Yeah, I um I don't have a book in front of me, but um I would, I, I would say that I feel that the experience, I feel like I have these experiences for me because it's one of the ways that speaks to me. Oh, we're not hearing you that well, Adrian. Yeah. Can can you hear me now? Now, yes, yeah. we can. Yeah. All right. So what I was going to say is for me, um my I'm I'm I was just trying to think if I could think of the time when it first happened, but in the book I talk about an experience that I had when I was kind of in the midst of a uh, a church scandal. <laughs> that one. Yes, that one. That's amazing. And, and how um it it was at a time in my life when although I I I was born and raised in came from a family of faith and we went to church and so church was no stranger for me and 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 God wasn't a stranger for me. But um I was in my my mid to early early to mid 20s and my uncle was the pastor of our church and uh he had passed away and they got a new pastor who I was familiar with him because he this guy used to be the youth pastor at our church and so now um I was in my 20s and my uncle had died and and this past this guy was asked to be the pastor of the church he had left and then um had started his own church but then they had asked him if he would consider coming and being pastor of the church and before he was voted in i had met with the guy and uh to make a long story short uh you know i was single in my early 20s and and so uh, he tried to date me and i wasn't having it and so um i thought i was going to be able to keep this to myself but then i got very convicted that if i didn't say something that even though i was strong enough to uh speak up for myself and have this guy you know just kind of let him know i wasn't interested i i felt that to protect the other girls in our church that he would go younger and so i felt like i needed to say something and when i went and said something Now you have to understand this church was a part of my family like my my whole life and I I think even my grandparents 
were probably founders of the church. And um, these people, the church community, they they were people that I that I knew my whole life and and that I loved. And I was shocked when I presented to the people that what you know what happened. And this guy was probably not the right person for his position. And the guy basically just told the congregation that, and you know that he was trying to console me because I was suicidal, which I have never had a suicidal thought in my, ever. And, and he was married, as I recall. Is that correct? Yeah, he was married. He had a yeah. family, and he was trying to tell me that he wanted to leave his wife, and, you know, he wanted me to wait until his youngest daughter um, graduated from high school, and, and I was just like, no, I'm not interested. Well, what ended up happening is, when I was defending myself, I had a major experience where I was completely taken up out of my body and I I felt like God was speaking to me and showing me the nature of this guy and also the a lot of the people in the church. And it became where it, it, it was like, A black dark cloak was lifted off of the guy when I when he kept saying that I I basically was suicidal and and that you know I was trying to we had I had to go before the the whole church and the board and this guy's wife was there and I was like trying to apologize to the wife because she was finding all of this stuff out and it was just a horrible situation but what ended up happening is while I was going through my trial per se I had a chance to to look at the nature of people and I saw the people in the audience like there were very few people that had features like nose, eyes, mouth they just were like the color of gray and then there, there were maybe five people who had their full features and I could see those people and I was asking God who are those people and he was like just explaining to me well these are the people who are really living a life that is worthy of of their calling and and these other people were were just gray and I was always the type of person who was hot you either had to be hot and cold you couldn't be like lukewarm and gray meant I was either like you had to be black or white like I was a very clear concrete person and all of a sudden you know, it was like he used that imagery for me to be able to speak to me about what was going on right in front of my face. And at the same time with this pastor, it was like this black cloak was draped over the guy, but then like this cloak like was was being lifted up. And at the same time, this pastor was swirling around, swirling around, swirling around. And when I looked down at his feet, they were wolves' feet. And it was just like, to this day, like, that whole experience just kept me sane because I felt like at one point I was going to, I was just going to walk away from the faith. And then I felt like God took me to this, the edge of myself. And when I looked down, there was like this deep, dark, horrible, endless pit of darkness that I've ever, you know, that I ever saw. And I was like, Okay, I don't I don't want that. I don't ever want to see that. I don't I don't want that. 
And then I just realized that God was using this experience to to teach me about how there are good people and there are bad people, even in the church, and that to, you know, just be very, very, very clear on on what it is that I want and how I'm going to live my life and how not to be. And so that was just like a major lesson. Um, and I've had those experiences, you know, throughout my life. And I, I felt like, you know, God just used that as a, a wonderful opportunity to really teach me how to listen and how to see and understand what life is truly about and what's, what life I, I, I need to live to be true to him and true to myself. And so that's kind of that story in a nutshell. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, when I read that, I got chills. I really did. I, and I had to stop yeah. reading. I couldn't read through yeah. all of your revelations because after each one I'd get like, you know, like, whoa, this happened to her? I, I read the one yeah. in the house. Okay, we won't even talk about that because I have somebody else on the line, a good friend of the show, so I'll let him speak. Hello? 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 Well, can you hear me, you. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Introduce yourself. Oh, he lost. We lost him. Oh, he must Who be in it? a bad okay. spot. That was that was um, Brian. Brian Dean Clark. He's a good friend of the show. Oh, he's back on. Okay. Goodness gracious me! I'm sorry. I uh, I was trying to headphone it and it just not correlated right. So here I am. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, you have a couple of minutes, so so introduce yourself well, a little. I'm I'm Brian Dane Clark, author and poet out of California, and a very good friend of uh, Barbara's, and uh, she's she's been oh so sweet in letting me come on the show every month and uh, and speak and and talk to the uh, amazing authors that she has on uh, today's uh, which are nonetheless. I'm uh, sorry I'm late. I did have to deal with the. My personal business with the Veterans Administration, but uh, I'm glad that I was able to call in. What uh, what what are we talking about today? I mean, I, I caught a little bit at the end of the last conversation. Uh, and revelations, like... yeah. Lee has written a book, Lee Lee, Lee Payne, and I'll introduce you, Brian. This is Lee Payne. Hi, Brian. Um... Hi, me. I wrote a book called Extraordinary Revelations to Ordinary People, and it's 25 interviews and testimonies of people who have had these experiences, which are defined as an experience that comes to you from outside yourself, steers itself into your soul, and has a personal message for you. So that's, uh, and then had had some amazing insights kind of along this line so there's been a lot of synergy um as you said barbara in this particular show yes it's amazing that i got all these people together and that we are you know all together in one area here and so um lee has a website you tell him the website well you're going to put it on facebook right 
Yes, well, I, I don't know how to do that since I don't really use Facebook. I'm sorry to say. You can um, give can me the information. Just send it to me. I'll, I'll put it on. I can find it and post it up on, uh, on the uh, web page. That's very kind. Well, it's www.leepainwriter, and Lee is L-E-E, and Payne is P-A-I-N-E, and writer, right. you know, uh, .com. And there's a, a survey on the website for those who have had um, any kind of extraordinary revelation because I'm trying to build up numbers and find out how many people out there have had them and what kind they've had and to shore up, okay. uh, help people accept what they have and a blog that will have information that I, I gather from the survey. I, I, I can answer directly to that, Lee. I, I myself personally have uh, had several experiences which I feel were divine, if you will. Wow, And so yes. I, whole, I wholeheartedly believe that miracles happen every day. It's just in how you recognize them. Um, well, um, see, see, it's a good thing you did. Do you have a question for anyone here? I know Adrian just um, got off, but Adrian, I'm going to finish. I, I'm going to read your husband's now because I read all yours, and now you know, <laughs> I'm ready to read his. But um, Brian, do you have a question for anyone? I I do, but I'm, I'm going to hold off just a minute. Go ahead. Well, you only have three minutes, so don't hold off. Well, I kind of I kind of in 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 uh, trying to hold on to it, I lost it. I, I I can't can't remember the question I had specifically. Oh, okay. Um, um Adrian's but, back on, I think. Is she back on? Is this Adrian? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I was. It's easier for me to listen sometimes without when I'm not on the phone. Yeah, because if you're on, if you're on a cell, it's hard to listen yeah. and be on a show at the same time. Yeah, but um, I'm going to let everyone now. We have three minutes, so I'm going to let everyone say something, and we'll start with Arunima, and just say something about anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just believe it was like you know a very fortunate uh, event for me to be here, and I like really got enlightened. And I think uh, we were hovering around this idea of revelations because even the book that I've written, it is about a lot of spiritual experiences. And I wrote that book because I have had a lot of spiritual experiences. So, you know, uh, and I'm definitely good, uh, you know, going to put a lot of those in the survey uh, on that website. Yeah. (laughs) And thank you so much, everyone. It was a great experience. Thank you for coming, Arunima. I know that you you know it's late for you, so you can go to sleep oh. now. <laughs> right. Wow. Thank you so much. And you. um Lee, you have something to say? I just wanted to say to Arunima, I don't ask specifically for the stories on the website because it would be overwhelming at this point, but uh, yeah. You can send me emails at contactleepayne at gmail.com. Uh, I'd like to hear your stories. And um, the same um, of the gentleman who just came on, uh, I'd be interested in, in hearing some of your stories um, because I may well be able to do something with them, um, with your permission, of course. So uh, this yeah. has been a great connection, and I'm very grateful. Thank you, Barbara. You've done a great job. Well, you're welcome. I just love my doing my show. I've been doing it for 13 years, minus maybe six months wow. when I took off wow. after Hal passed. And um, 
I just, I love doing my show. Sometimes I'm here alone, but now I'm here with all these wonderful guests, and thank you. My next show is going to be um, LaVon Robinson, and LaVon Robinson is prolific, if nothing else. He's a prolific, prolific man who writes beautiful poetry. And so I think you'll enjoy, uh, you know, reading his work. Yeah, and he has a lot of books, too. And Mm -hmm. also, I just want to tell you, my book, If I Could Be Like Jennifer Taylor, will be coming out by April. I promise you that, if I can get the cover done. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Arunima and Lee and and Brian and Adrian. Indeed. Thank you for coming on and... and, um, Adrian, thank you for telling us your revelation, and I'm I'm dying to read your husband's and um, come and see us next month. It, it'll be April. I have the chat room open. Thank you for everyone who is in there. Cynthia, thank you so much for being here. Cynthia, do you have something to say? Quick, um, eleven seconds. So thank you, everyone. I'll leave you with Lavender Ablaze, Mountains Gently Lightning, Nature's Morning Hymn. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. And you can listen in, Bye. You can listen in archives. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do. Start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.